our prayer time, worship team, good job as always. Uh, youth that were there and now are scattered. It's great to have you back. We missed your presence last week. Uh, today, I'm excited as we kick off our new series, I Am. Uh, it's a series uh, that it will lead us into Easter, believe it or not. That's coming just around the corner. I invite you to grab your Bible and, o- and open it up. We're going to be in two different uh, texts this morning. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. And if you reach for a blue Bible, that'll be on or around page 41. We're also going to be in John chapter 8 which again in your blue Bible is on or around page 758. Uh, I encourage you to, in your, if you have a Bible, to, to mark both of those, kind of have both of those handy, because we're going to talk about and read uh, those chapters, parts of those chapters this morning. Um, one of the things I love about PCC is also one of the things that I constantly bump up against. Um, it's not something that, uh, you know, I fix the pay, fix eight, fix eight, fix, anyway, that word on, I don't focus on it a lot. We don't talk about it a lot, but it does come up because it's just something that, that we, we bump up against, and, and it's our attendance. Each week, people like you and you, know, you people like you, you, you attend PCC, you put forth the effort, you invest a couple of hours to be here, to be here in worship, to be here for each other, to be here to listen to someone, myself or someone else, uh, open up God's word and, and share uh, truth from it. And one of the reasons I love this church is because I know almost everyone here. And we kind of know each other. Uh, I, I at least recognize you. It happened a couple of weeks ago where someone walked in and it was like, I know them, but I can't place them, right? Ended up, it, he's not here today, so I'm going to talk about it. It was my neighbor who had been inviting to church for a while, finally just didn't know he was coming, but he just showed up, and it was amazing because it's great that that happened. You see, each week here at PCC, we usually have a first, second, or third time guests that are here, people that are, are checking out PCC who are figuring out if church is for them, uh, finding out what we focus on, what's our priority, is this a place where we can grow, where they can grow and, and where they can worship. And often, we recognize each other in those situations, right? But but we don't always know each other, and we don't always remember each other's names. And it's difficult for me because I'm terrible with names. But because there's usually new people here, or maybe you haven't heard this before, or you just need to be reminded, every week we try to make a point to say that as a church, our mission is to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. That's why we're here. And to do that, we strive to take Jesus' life as our pattern for life, and as such, we prioritize being together. We're here, right? Jesus invested time with his disciples. We hear and respond to the word of God. Jesus taught God's word and had the people respond to it and said, this is what it says, and how do we react to it? And, And we strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world, Jesus shared his grace and his love with all people, and and we're striving to do the same. And what's interesting about us as a small church is that we may know each other, but we really don't know each other. In fact, I think it's funny sometimes when I see people who meet for the first time, and as they meet each other, they think, oh, these people must be new at PCC. I need to be sure and make them feel welcome. What's funny is, Both of them have been attending for three or four years, right? 
They just, one sets over here and one sets over here, and never the twain shall meet, right? And so we don't really know each other, which is why I encourage people, when you meet someone that you don't know, instead of asking them, hey, are you new? Just say, how long have you been attending, right? That way you don't feel like an idiot when they say, I've been here for 14 years. You're like, oh, uh, great, you know? Um, So uh, it, it all points to this. And if we're really honest with this, we think we know each other. But do we? We know people from a distance. We may know their name, but, but I would suggest we don't really know them. And this is not unique to PCC. It's not unique to church. It's not unique to most organizations. It, it happens everywhere, right? But maybe it should be different at church. Maybe it should be different here. Maybe we really should know each other. So here's what we're going to do. Some of you are getting really nervous, especially my friend Abby, who we talked about this a little bit earlier. Some of you, okay? I I promise you this is going to be okay. It's going to be mostly okay, all right? I can't really promise you much because I don't know how this is going to go. I've never done anything like this before, so we're going to see how it goes. It could work out great. It could be a total failure, but we're going to muddle through it, and we'll figure it out, all right? I've asked some people that are already getting ready. They're going to be passing a basket down from the rows. I don't care where you start. JT, that one goes to that section. There's one per section, so... Just start passing them, and in these baskets, you're going to find a name tag, okay? Don't deceive yourself. It's a round name tag, even though it's on a square piece of paper, okay? There's also a writing utensil, a pen, which I don't say that word very well, pen, pen, right? It's a writing utensil, okay? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When you get one, yeah, just pass it down the rows faster. Come on, you guys. Let's go. Um, Everybody needs one of these, and I'm going to ask you just to simply put your first name across the top. Okay? And then hold on to it. Don't put it on. Just do that, all right? And then hold on to it. There's more to come with this later, all right? We'll talk about it uh, in a few more minutes, okay? Clear? Everybody clear what they're supposed to do? Not like communion when sometimes we pass it out and tell you to hold it and people take it, and then when it's time for us all to take it together, they're like, (laughs) you know, right? No. So just hold on to this. Don't stick it. Okay, here we go. So, um, you see, the interesting thing about this is, is and this is kind of, kind of the premise that I'm, I'm trying to, to get to, we, uh, we may know people from a distance. You may know that my name is Craig. You may even know that I'm a pastor. I, I'm married with, with kids, but you don't really know me. You know me from a distance, if that's all you know about me. And I would suggest there's a big difference between knowing someone from a distance and knowing someone up close which begs this question, how do you know God? Do you know God from a distance, or do you know God up close? How do you know God? In our previous series, we looked at life change, and we emphasized the fact that true life change begins and it ends with Jesus. And I want to continue that thought today by adding that life change is not something that takes place at a distance. It takes place up close. And we see this in the scriptures. Uh, Moses is a great example of this. Moses knew God's name. He was born in Egypt. Uh, Moses was born, he was a Hebrew, right? He was uh, rescued from the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in Pharaoh's household, but he, he knew all about the, the Hebrew traditions and all of those things as well. Uh, he fled uh, to the desert, and after 40 years of being in the desert, Moses moved from knowing God's name to having an experience with God. 
In Exodus 3, we read about Moses and his encounter with God in the burning bush. It's a part of what we read in our worship set earlier today. Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. He's married Zipporah, and he's watching over the sheep when he looks across and he sees a bush that is on fire. Now, uh, that would not have been too out of the ordinary in that day and time, or even now, as I'm told. It's a dry region. There's uh, dry heat and lightning, and the result often is bushes catch on fire. But with this bush, something was different. It was burning, but it wasn't burning up, okay? So Moses does what many of us probably would have done. He goes over to take a look. And when he does, the Lord speaks to Moses through the burning bush and informs Moses that he is being sent to Egypt to bring the Israelites out of slavery and into freedom. All right? And in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 3, Moses responds to God and he says this, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? It was as if Moses was saying to God, but wait, God, I am only Moses. I am only Craig, right? Who am I that I should do such a thing? And it's kind of like our conversations with God as well, right? But God, I'm, I'm only Carol. I'm only Dave. I'm only Isabel. I'm only Uzumaka. Who am I that I should do this thing that you have called me to do, God? And God said this in verse 12. I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Essentially, Moses is asking God, what should I tell them is on your name tag, God? Who, who are you? What is your name? On, on the top there, what name should I give them? And that's really a great, a great question for him to ask because the Egyptian had hundreds of gods, right? And the, the Hebrew people would have known all of these uh, many gods. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. They, they kind of knew all of this type of stuff. And so when they asked me your name, Moses said, what, then what shall I tell them? He wanted to be sure and tell the people, this is the name of the God who sent me To you. And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. If we were to fill out God's name tag according to the top, uh, on the top part of this, according to this text, it would look like this it would look like Y H W H. Right? It's the name from which we get Yahweh. Yahweh God is a powerful name. It's a sacred name for the Jewish people. And without getting too technical, the name Yahweh is, a, is the to be verb. It means I was, I am, I always will be. God is speaking to Moses and he's saying, my name is I am. I am before time, I am inside time, I'm outside time, I'm after time, I'm over all time. He is Yahweh, he is I am. And God shows that he is this I am when he was with Moses and and through this series of amazing, miraculously powerful events, the people were released from Egypt, they traveled into the desert and eventually into the promised land. God said, I am Yahweh. 
So what does that have to do with us, right? What does it have to do with Jesus? Well, that's why we're going to be in John chapter 8 to help bridge that for us. In John 8, what you find is Jesus is in the temple, and he's teaching the religious leaders and the the people there, and the religious leaders don't really like him very much. They're trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to get rid of Jesus because they see Jesus as a threat. And here in this very interesting chapter of John, chapter 8, you see Jesus talking about the people of Israel. One of the first things he does is he calls them children of Abraham, which would have been a compliment they would have liked that. And then he turns around and calls them children of the devil, not so much of a compliment, right? They, they didn't really like that very much. And, and then Jesus talks about himself. But before he starts talking about himself, the religious leaders, they try yet again there in verse 48 to try to discredit Jesus when they say this, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, it's interesting that the religious leaders would look at Jesus and call him a Samaritan and demon-possessed. As you may know, you may not know, but the Jews... And the Samaritans didn't get along. They really did not like each other. The Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. They considered them uh, half-breeds. And and so to call a Jew a Samaritan was a personal attack. It was an insult. And this is a personal attack that Jesus just ignores. They also claim that Jesus was demon-possessed. According to F.F. Bruce and his commentary on the Gospel of John, the Jewish leaders were lashing out against Jesus because back in verse 47, Jesus said to them that they didn't belong to God. And this kind of made them mad, and they thought that this kind of a thought that they didn't belong to God was sheer madness, a token of demon possession. And so they accused him of being demon-possessed. And this charge against him, Jesus does address. In verse 49, Jesus says, I'm not demon-possessed. I'm not possessed by a demon. But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And at this they exclaimed, now we know you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say whoever obeys your words will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are, right? By what name are you making such a claim? This Jesus, this this teacher, who are you? And Jesus replied in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Man, Jesus just doesn't pull any punches here, does he? But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Whoa. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, or truly, truly, depending on the different versions that you read, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, say it with me, I am. Many scholars agree that Jesus uses this phrase very intentionally to refer back to this Exodus chapter 3 that we read earlier, right? To make a point, Jesus is saying, I am God, God is me, I am, all right? This is not the only time. If Jesus were to say this once and kind of get off it, we'd be like, well, maybe he was having an intense day. But this is not the only time that we see scriptures make this claim about Jesus, nor did he make this uh, claim about himself only here. 
The first five verses of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then John invests several chapters in showing how the Word is, in fact, Jesus. And Jesus was with God in the beginning. Mark chapter 14, verse 61, the high priest asked Jesus if he is the Christ. And in verse 62, Jesus responds, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Jews would have understood this to mean that Jesus was claiming to be God when he said such a thing. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says plainly, I and the Father are one. John 17, 5, Jesus prays, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Time and time and time again, Jesus is stating, I am. I am Yahweh. I am God. We are one. I was. I am. I always will be. And here in this text, this causes the religious leaders to react rather harshly. In verse 59, it says, at this, at his claim to be I am, they picked up stones to stone him. They wanted to eliminate Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him because his claim that he is the I am is one that they could not accept. They did not believe. They knew God from a distance, and that's not the God they knew. And when they saw God up close, that's not the God they liked, and they wanted to get rid of Jesus. And this is something that's significant for us to wrestle with in our life today. Because if Jesus truly is God, as he claims to be, what implications does that have on our life? What difference does that make? I want to look at at three things and just hear me out on this, okay? It makes a difference because if Jesus is I am, that means Jesus is holy, He's holy. In John chapter 8, where we've been, in verse 46, Jesus says this, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, I'm sinless, I am holy. Who can convict me of sin? He's asking them, hey, point out which law I have broken. If I were to ask you that question, we'd be here all day, right? We'd have a, but with Jesus, the, he was saying, look, Find which one I've broken. It's known that there are some 613 Mosaic laws, and it's believed Jesus is basically saying, let me be judged by the law and the prophets. You bring the law up here, the law that you hold to, you religious leaders, and you tell me which of these laws I have broken. You show it to me. Jesus is saying to the people, I am holy. And as he does, he's indirectly saying to the religious leaders, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you've been reading about in the scriptures, in in the Old Testament text. They didn't call him the Old Testament text at that time. But in the scriptures, I'm, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. I am God. I am holy. I represent the very nature of God. I am God right here with you. Jesus is I am. He's holy. It also makes a difference because if if Jesus is I am, it means he's powerful. Look at what Jesus says in verse 51. I tell you the truth, if a man keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, there are many things of which we are afraid, right? They did the the Google search and what comes up. Well, one of the biggest fears people have is the fear of public speaking. Guess I didn't get that one, right? We have a fear of being alone, fear of spiders, fear of heights, fear of 
fill in the blank. There's lots of fears that many of us have in different ways. According to psychology today, while we all have different phobias, the most commonly held fear for all people across the board is death. We fear death. And here Jesus is saying, you will never see death. And I've got to ask this question, how can Jesus make such a claim? Because last time I checked, the death rate of humanity is still 100%, right? But the reason Jesus can say that you will not taste death is a different understanding because he's master over death. You see, when we look back at the story of the account, we see Jesus' power realized. Jesus was betrayed, he was crucified, he died, he was buried in the tomb, but the tomb could not hold him. The power of God raised him back to life, giving him victory over sin and victory over death, demonstrating his power over that which to us feels so final, revealing to us that he has power over death, showing us that Jesus is powerful. It also means this. If Jesus is I am, then he is judge. Verse 55 of John 8, Jesus says, Though you do not know him, I know him. If I, have, if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Jesus is the one who is telling the truth. He's the one who, who judges fairly. In Titus chapter one, uh, Paul tells us that God is the one who does not lie. In John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. We, we have this view of, of God, of Jesus as a judge and often as judge, we, we think that what he really wants to do is to make our life difficult He wants to prevent us from doing what we want or keeping us from enjoying life. And from a distance, that's how a lot of people see God. And maybe that's how you see God this morning. Maybe you know God from a distance. And yes, he is holy, but we are not. And we see that he is all-powerful, and he's just waiting for us to mess up. And he is the judge ready to condemn us and to find us guilty. And if that's our view of God, then why in the world would we want to get close to him? Why? Why? We wouldn't. We would seek to avoid him because we want to keep a God at a distance who makes us feel guilt and shame and fearful, right? I don't know about you, but that's not very attractive to me. But things change when we begin to see Jesus up close, You see, from a distance, his holiness is intimidating, but up close, his holiness means that I'm forgiven. His holiness brings us salvation. Jesus, the holy, sinless one, provides for us forgiveness. His holiness means that we can enter into his presence. We can have a relationship with him because our sins are removed. They are forgotten. They are removed as far as the east is from the west. Jesus' holiness up close means that we can see him face to face and we can fall more in love with him each and every day. Up close, his power, which we may not like, but up close, his power means that we have life. It means that I am alive. Jesus is not only the master over death, he's the creator and the giver of life. Titus 3.7 tells us, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Hope, I would say that in our world today, with all of the problems and divisions and factions and polarization and all the things, right, that we look at and we're just kind of like, I'm depressed learning about what's going on in our world. 
learning about what's going on in my community, in, in my family, within myself. I, I don't know what to do that. Jesus gives us hope that there's more to life than this present life. And that doesn't mean we check out of this life and only wait. No, it just gives us something to say there's something more because Jesus offers us life. He is the one that can give us hope because he's the one who died and came back to life. And he's the one who claimed to be God. And when we know him up close and we begin to truly live life and to learn that we are alive, we allow his power to work in us and through us And we were once dead in our sin, but now because of Jesus, we are alive. Up close, we see Jesus as a judge. And as judge, his pronouncement is that we are loved. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. John 3.16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his one and only son, for whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn, not to judge the world, not to pronounce you guilty. (laughs) No, but to save the world through him. 1 John 4, 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in his love abides in God, and God in him When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, Father, condemn them because, (laughs) no. He cried out, Father, forgive them. Yes, God is our judge, but because of Jesus, God loves us. And we are pronounced innocent, loved as children, co-heirs with Christ. Up close, we realize that God, that that Jesus is forgiving. He is life-giving, and he loves us more than we could ever hope, imagine, or dream. So how do you know God? On your name tag, and I invite you to grab that out again for a moment. You've got your name written across the top of that. And this is who you are from a distance. And my question to you is this, who are you up close? If you were to write something else about you, so people could know you a little closer, what would you write? And I'll give you a moment here in a minute to do that, but hang with me for another second. What would you write? You might write something like this. You might write a mother or father or a chemist or teacher, a chef, an engineer, a a family systems practitioner, if you could fit that on that spot right there, right? You might write that you're an accountant, a son, a daughter, a teammate, an administrator, a director, a janitor, a pilot, delivery driver, waiter, student, recruiter. There are lots of things you could write on there, right? And all of them would be accurate and would allow people just to know you a little closer. But what if you allowed people to know you even closer than that? To not just know you from a distance and know your name and not just know you maybe from arm's length where you share something about you or your job, profession, or something you like, but what would it be like if you allowed people to really know you up close? Would you share on your name tag that you are hurting? Maybe that you're joyful. That right now in your life you are suffering. Or that things are good and you're grateful. 
Maybe you're anxious or uncertain. You're nervous about what's to come. You're fearful. You're just sad. Maybe you're excited about this stage in your life. You're encouraged. Maybe you just feel alone and exhausted or lost. You could be content. You could be worried. You could be happy. You could be jealous. You could be impatient. You could be poor. You could feel powerless. Lots of other things. How willing are you to allow others to know you up close? Because here's the thing. And this is something I've really been wrestling with for me. And this is where I preach to me and invite you to listen, okay? But I would suggest that our willingness to allow others to be up close to us is impacted by our willingness to know God up close. Because when we know God up close, we accept that, yes, he is holy, but because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. And yes, he is powerful, but through Jesus, I have life. And yes, he's our judge, but because of Jesus, we've been declared innocent and we are loved. And as we do those things, then I would suggest we are more willing to allow other people to know us up close. We are more willing to say, this is what God is doing in my life. This is where I struggle. This is where I'm growing. This is why life is hard. But thanks be to God, thanks be to Jesus, that I have hope that I don't have to walk through this life alone because there are others who know me, not just from a distance and not just from arm's length, but they know me up close. So this morning, I want to invite you and I want to challenge you to write down something else on the bottom of your name tag. And you don't have to. This is not a test. This is not a can you impress someone. This is just a moment for you. Would you be willing to write something down that would allow people to know you just a little bit closer? I want to give you just a moment to contemplate that and to consider writing something down on your name tag. For me, uh, my name tag says this, I am Craig, and I am uncertain. You see, for me to have an up-close relationship with Christ is for me to acknowledge that there's lots of things I don't know. It's for me to acknowledge that while I am uncertain, that because of Jesus, I'm still forgiven. And I have life. And I am loved, and that the great I am is with me, inviting me to walk in relationship with him, to discover and experience his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. It begins and it ends with Jesus. So I invite you to receive him, to get to know him up close, to say, God, I I need you in my life. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. 
to get to know him up close, to, to confess your sins to him, to be obedient in baptism, to walk in relationship with him, to join a body of believers where we are striving to love him and to love each other with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm gonna invite you to whatever you wrote to put your name tag on. And again, you don't have to. But as you do, you are saying, I want to be known more than just my name. But who am I? Who are you? Can I tell you this? Whatever it is you write down on that, God already knows. And guess what? (laughs) He loves you. And that thing you're not willing to write down on that piece of paper, right? Because you're just not that willing to be that vulnerable to allow people to get that close. Guess what? God knows and he loves you. Let's pray together. Father God, as we, as we seek you as the great I am, would you help us to know you as the I am that's in relationship with us. And Father, as we strive to know you, would you help us to know each other, to walk with each other, to not just smile and be friendly on a Sunday, but to to invest, to go deeper, to pray, to encourage, to take the long walk through life. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that that you know us. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us so that we may know you. Thank you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we move into a...